0: What I think is imagination coupled with nostalgia is a great concoction for creativity. And uh, imagination is where you are today, the you know, the world and how you view it and how, you, how do you more contemporize it. And nostalgia is everything indigenous, everything lived, everything that has been experienced by people. And that is a beautiful product and a beautiful amalgamation for creativity, which we need in today's world. Otherwise we're going to be stuck up, we're going to not move on, we're not going to be able to break stereotypes.
1: My guest today is Deepak Ramola. He's the founder and artistic director of Project Fuel, an organization that collects life lessons from people of all ages and backgrounds, from all around the world, and designs them into interactive activities and workshops. Deepak is United Nations speaker, two times TEDx speaker, an educator, a writer, an actor, a lyricist, and a gold medalist in mass media studies from the University of Mumbai. Deepak has a way of evoking joy from just about everyone he encounters. He truly is a light, full of depth and full of wisdom. I think you'll be very inspired by this talk. This is a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, spiritual growth, and social consciousness as we forge a path towards a more peaceful and harmonious world. I'm Jared Angaza, and this is Inipi Radio. So I'm here today with Deepak Ramola, and we have been introduced through some mutual friends, and uh, his journey is really cool. He's traveling all over the world and gathering life lessons, and I think I've done that informally <laughs> around my life, and, and Deepak has set out to do it very formally with a, with a pretty amazing mission, and I'm really uh, excited to share that with you today. Thank you so much, Deepak, for coming on to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Gerard, for having me. I'm really excited to be uh, here on the show with you.
1: Excellent. Well, you I've given a little bit of a formal intro, and I want to just give the audience an uh, invite to meet you personally. Tell us a little bit about your personal life and where you're at, what, like even geographically right now, where we're talking, and, and give us a little insight as, as to what that looks like.
0: Okay. So I am uh, speaking to you all the way from this very quaint little city called Berudun in India. And uh, this is where I grew up. I was born in another small town, but came here at the age of seven. My father is in the Indian armed force and he got posted here. Ever since then, I lived here till uh, grade 12, which is, uh, you know, a school. And after that, went to Mumbai to do my higher education, finished college there And now, 10 years later, I have come back to my small city. Here is where the office of Project Fuel is. Uh, It's beautiful hills and like a valley all around. So I'm up in the mountains.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now.
0: Uh, well, right now I'm working on launching the online store of Project Fuel, my organization. In just a couple of days, it should be alive. Um, and what it will entail or have is uh, tools for people to gather their own wisdom, for tools for people to be able to pass on and document and create and celebrate their own learnings. So that's what I'm currently working on, along with. a a ghost village festival up in the mountains for people to come and join.
1: (laughs) I saw a little bit about that on your blog, and I was just reading through it. Tell us a little bit about the the ghost village project. That sounds really cool.
0: Yes. So the state that we are uh, in, or I am in, uh, is called Uttarakhand, where Dehradun is based. And Uttarakhand is is, um, right now facing a huge uh, migration threat. So almost 1,300 villages. Have been emptied out due to lack of livelihood and education and resources. So um, I have picked one such village, which is called Saur. It's a 600-year-old village, and out of 300 families, only 12 remain in that village now. So uh, it's been labeled as a ghost village because it's mostly abandoned. Um, And we are doing a ghost village festival to kind of flip that uh, name around and bring people from sweet cities, people from across the world to come and experience the life of these two families in the village over two days. So it's like a cultural weekend uh, come village experience festival. Uh, Earlier this year in June, we painted this village with life lessons of the inhabitants, those who live there and those who migrated. So it's the first village of life lessons in the world.
1: (laughs) That's beautiful. How did, uh, well, first of all, how how did you end up coming across this village? Like, how did you how did you get exposed to that?
0: Oh, it, completely by research, I would say, Jarad. Uh, I always wanted to do a village of life lessons in India as a gift to the world, where you could just walk across and and, and you know familiarize yourself with wisdom. And as I researched more about uh, the state that I belong to, I realized that migration is a huge challenge. So I started looking for villages in Uttarakhand. And this particular village still had hope because there were 12 families. They were still, still putting on with you know, their daily activities and uh, marching on to see what the end is going to be. So I thought I should join that and contribute my, my part to their journey.
1: That's excellent. Well, what are you, in putting all this together... I think I I know you well enough at this point to know that you've got an agenda behind that, something beautiful that you want to create. What would you say is the desired result of doing something like this?
0: Uh, All right. There are two. One is to create an innate value in the villagers themselves. You know, when people come from what is considered to be a rural background or an inferior strata of society, there is very less self-worth in people. And because we have documented life lessons of these families and I'm painting those life lessons, have painted and passing on those life lessons, teaching, now celebrating that through uh, the festival, through education programs. I think the first thing it does, it, it makes each life count in that village. Mm. And the second it does is it brings uh, some sort of light and awareness about the threat of migration which is happening here in a rural small scale in India, and is happening in Syria. And the feeling of homelessness that we all fear somewhere, you know, deep inside us bridges the gap between that global issue and this sort of a remote issue, uh, you know, connectively well. So I think bringing those two into the fore.
1: That's beautiful. I mean, I, I love what you're doing and, and, and how you're going about doing it and this storytelling. It's been such a big part of my life, you know, as a, <clears throat> as a brand guy uh-huh. and as a, you know, a, a brand architect and a philanthropist, story is the thing that rises above always. And, and it's, and how do we tell these stories in a compelling way? How do we tell stories that help to bring us together, you know, as, as humans? Mm. I, yeah. I, and it, we've given a little bit of framework, and I wanted to do that just, just to give people a, a little bit of an idea of what it is that you care about. Now, let's take a little step back into you and look at some of the influences really that have started, you know, that, that have formed your story, that have influenced your path and your journey. And then all of the things that you're now interested in uh, sort of showcasing around the world and saying like, look, here here are all these beautiful lifestyles. Here's all these beautiful journeys. They're all different they're unique. Mm. And, and what does that mean as, you know, for us as humans? And what, how, how do we create unity and, and a rever- in, in my words, I guess I would say a reverence for our interconnectedness. We are already interconnected, as you know. <laughs> There's nothing we can do to, to make us more or less interconnected. But what we can do is to create experiences and, and, to, and conversations that will help people to understand that interconnectedness. And then hopefully sure. to to uh, to grow a reverence for that, such that it is amplified through and, and ripples out through their lifestyle. So, what is that mm. like? In, in in going back to your life, like I'm interested in, what is it that you feel has influenced you to take this journey? You know, if it was in a person, an experience, a time, a moment, or whatever, is there some what? what would you say has, you know, I don't, if Sometimes there's a moment. And sometimes it's a lifetime, you know, (laughs) what, what was it for you that's kind of influenced you to go down this path to, to research people's experiences and journeys and, and bring them together for others to learn from?
0: Okay. So, uh, for me, it really started very personally in some sense because of my experiences right here. So what I do now is I collect life lessons of people from around the world and design them into curriculums and projects. But if I trace that back to why it is valid and why it is credible is because um, of growing up with with my mother who never had the opportunity to go to school beyond class fifth and getting to know and see her ruling the world around her. She was great with the finances without learning math. She was great at giving advices without having studied philosophies, um, you know, all world class literature. And Somewhat seeing that made me believe that you can even learn from living. And of course, she validated that in some sense by confirming at the age of 14 to me that she was indeed learning from life and uh, not necessarily by a formal structure or institution like a school. So she was one of the biggest influences in documenting, um, you know, and kind of instigating me to ask other people what their learnings could be. The other uh, major stakeholders in this journey would be the teachers I had in school. They were phenomenal. Uh, they were receptive. And they also were very, very enthusiastic about my curiosity. So I was never dumbed down or I was never questioned or uh, played down when I had too many, you know, in, too much inquisitiveness. And I think my teachers did kind of high five me every now and then for asking too much, too many questions. And I think that celebrated. Mm. When you're a young child and you start something as a young person, I think your circle plays a bigger role than the outside world. Because it's only, I, I mean, at least in my case, I would say uh, I've come to realize it's when you're when you're a teenager or when you become a college going kid is when you're influenced by these role models and you're in, influenced by these personalities and celebrities and great authors because you have access to all of that. When I was growing up, I really had a handful of people around me, my sister, my parents, my teachers, my best friends, um, and and the community I, I was living in. And that kind of provided me uh, a, a diverse viewpoint of understanding of, oh, wow, everybody can be valuable by sharing what they bring onto the table. And then, of course, this was further, I would say, fired up by uh, the exposed to, to the world media and to to personalities like Oprah Winfrey and Maya Angelou and Chinua Achebe and you know um, all the way to you I would say
1: <laughs> that's that's quite a crew to be uh, categorized with thank you <laughs> um, uh, that's beautiful and, uh, the you've had you, you've obviously had you know an interesting journey in in, in on your own what what has I appreciate your, you know, your view on the influence that your mother had in that. And I have, I have a, a life that is very much influenced by my mother as well and her, her ethos, you know, her philosophy on life and so on. Hers mm-hmm. has always been about creating a haven of peace and creating a peaceful atmosphere and so on. And obviously that's been a big theme that I've tried to carry forward as well. What would you say is your ethos? What drives you, you know, to do all of this?
0: Hmm. Wow. I would say, Jarrah, that's a, first of all, a brilliant question. What drives me is the uncertainty of it all. Hmm. You never know what is going to knock your socks off. (laughs) A five-year-old child might say something that is more profound and deep than anything else in the world, and maybe the quotes of Rumi. And a hundred-year-old might say something so frivolous that you will chuckle,
1: you know, that, (laughs) oh,
0: 100 years of life taught you that? To to have more water, to drink more water and keep yourself hydrated? I, I mean, you know, so I think the uncertainty of it all is uh, what really, I mean, propels me every day to say, I don't know. I don't know what someone will say and, you know, how someone will respond to the question, what's your life lesson and what will come out of it? Uh, and that has led to other emotions, I would say, that has led to empathy for me that I would be able to, be in a situation where I'm able to empathize better with other people, I'm able to understand their worlds better, and more so they are able to understand myself uh, and my world better because it's a two-way street. It's not a one-way where you're just researching or interviewing, but having a conversation. Um, And also I would say lately I have found a more philosophical answer to, to that approach. That is, it actually helps you unearth the similarities that you share as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think in all the the complexities of uh, social media and all the complexities and advances of technology as we become more high definition and Polaroid in our approach and 3D in our appearances, I think somewhere it does take that human interaction to figure out how deeply and not how fastly are you communicating with people. So, it really helps me navigate that
1: that's great <laughs> i I love how, you know these uh, our, our journeys through life uh you know they we have all these different outside influences and, and things like that that lead us in different directions and whatever and so often I have all these friends that have to, totally different journeys and they've led us to very similar thinking they've let us you know it's like we went through on different paths and arrived in a similar place and we mm. we have these um I find so often that it's easy for me to track things back to a, a lot of stories and things that I've heard, even through indigenous wisdom and, and, and other world history and things that I've studied, and seeing some of those threads and similarities there are always interesting to me, and I, I find that we, uh, we are all very unique. We all are, are very different, yet... we are all that inner, you know, we're all interconnected. And in that, I think we start to see patterns once you start to study, study back down the way. And I think for me, you know, obviously I'm, you know, very much into studying the uh, indigenous cultures and the sages and revolutionaries that have come before us and thing, you know, what, did, what did they do? What, what's, you know, what's happened, what happened in the civil rights movement that's happening right now? You know, obviously there's a lot of that going on in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the similarities in that story or in, in that experience? Uh, what can we learn from and how can we make this better, you know, and, 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 and more relevant to this day and age? Um, I love to look back. I, I feel like we have so many, there's so many lessons, life lessons, back there in, you know, in, in our in our history that has this thread, and we can track that thread back. And, and, and I feel for me, sometimes I feel like the further back we we track on that thread, the more pure, beautiful kind of dynamics of humanity we can find in that. And I, through EP Radio and, and lots of other projects that I'm working on, I'm always looking to to see how can we reconnect with that? How can we bring that indigenous wisdom forward from our ancestors and apply that, overlay it, if you will, over modern society in a way that helps to reconnect us with who we are, you know, and and with humanity as a whole, with nature and spirit. What would you say in, in terms of your findings, your experiences, the stories that you've heard and and, and all that? How do you how do you connect with what, what we could maybe categorize as indigenous wisdom that has been uh, that, that, you know, any of that that has been really compelling to you that you've wanted to take forward? I, I know, you know, a lot about uh, your culture and the heritage and whatever that I've studied as well, just for my own personal interest. And I know there's some mm. rich stories and, and, and uh, life lessons there in, in the indigenous culture in that area. What does that mean to you?
0: I feel, uh, you know, uh, uh, on two there are two schools of thoughts. First is that, you know, today's generation is, cre- especially of artists and writers and poets and founders and co-founders and all of us, I think are searching for creativity all the time. And exactly what you said, if we trace back to learning the memories for indigenous tribes, because that's where we are coming from, right? That's where... That's what we trace our legacies and our um, roots to. We are coming from those tribal cultures into more evolved city-dwelling societies and more urbanized lifestyles. I would say, if I call that as nostalgia, because we have that in our DNA, you know, the, 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 the very fragments of it, the very furs of it are there in our DNA. So if I refer to it as nostalgia, because it's not a new piece of information. It is something you remember, you know, maybe when someone brings it up for the first time and you say, ah, I, I, have a, I, have a, I have a kind of a feeling towards an emotion uh, rising towards that. So it's nostalgia. But I think is imagination coupled with nostalgia is a great concoction for creativity. And uh, imagination is where you are today, the, you know, the world and how you view it and how, you, how do you more contemporize it. And nostalgia is everything indigenous, everything lived everything that has been experienced by people. And that is a beautiful product and a beautiful amalgamation for creativity, which we need in today's world. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck up, we're going to not move on, we're not going to be able to break stereotypes. So that's the first school of thought. The second school of thought is a concern, which is that all the wealth we accumulate or have accumulated, as you said, during the civil rights, during the Holocaust, during all the the grim realities of the golden societies, Uh, in the past generations that we've seen, all the wealth you accumulate will help secure the future of your next generation, you know, and a handful of families in the world that are rich enough will be able to do that. But all the wisdom you document and share will safeguard the life of all generations that will ever exist because wealth is perishable. Wisdom is not, you know, wisdom, wisdom is replicable. So I feel that if now, more than ever before, we take an active step in documenting those learnings that we are having with all the shootings and all the successes and all the failures and all the you know challenges of the world, somewhere we are inching closer towards the sustainable development we often talk about, mostly in terms of climate change and in, you know in, in terms of environmental issues. But there are seven billion of us here on earth today. There will be no sustainable development if we cannot learn from each other uh, and and move together, you know. So I see sustainable development not just as that term for, for for a particular issue listed in the United Nations SDG goals, but more so in a more acceptable and susceptible world that we belong
1: to. Beautiful. Well, in in doing all that you're doing and traveling like you travel and and, and having, a, you know, going out into all the different uh, environments that you're going into, you obviously are are going to be inundated with all kinds of emotions and, and experiences, right? Uh, yeah. I, I'm always interested, in, especially being a world traveler and, and, you know, living in East Africa for 10 years and doing all the stuff that I was doing there. Um, and, and now continuing all over the rest of the world, I know that I have to have uh, very deliberate practices in my life that yeah. keep me grounded, that keep me centered, that keep me connected to love when sometimes I just feel angry or I feel frustrated <laughs> or, or, or deeply saddened you know, because of something that I'm witnessing. So I have yeah. these practices you know, in my life that I have to have in place because they help me be the human that I want to be. They help me respond to life in the way that I want to okay. respond deliberately rather than reacting emotionally. What are the, some of the practices mm-hmm. that you utilize in your life to, to to be the Deepak that you want to be? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. You know, uh, you know, it's it, 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 uh, quite beautiful because Deepak actually translates in English to light. Uh, oh, wow. a light that shines bright and, and, and you know illuminates the world so uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was in an intentional definition but yeah it just merges beautifully and brings me to the answer that you know as, as you said you travel a lot some of the practices that I follow uh, one is to always be in a preparation mode uh, and what I mean by that is that I A lot of times I'm asked, you've taught more than 70,000 people across the world. How do you have the same level of compassion for a visually impaired and the same level of compassion and comfort with a Syrian refugee or, you know, an army officer and then, you know, heads of states? Uh, And I, I would say I actually figured something out very early on. I always carry, and this is an advice, I always carry a trick to abuse children a meaningful mm-hmm. experience to share with my peers, and a good thoughtful question to ask the aged. And that mm-hmm. is has I mean, in my journey has proven to be a great tool for starting a conversation with people of all age groups. So that's where my my settling ground comes in. I'm like, oh, if I'm with a kid, oh, my first instant reaction is to amuse the child because that's how you gain trust, you know, mm-hmm. they're always full of curiosity. you can you can always fascinate them. And if you're with someone your, your own age, you must share something uh, so deeply personal as an experience so that they say, oh, wow, someone my age is having to explore the same situation differently or is exploring a different situation very, very different from my lifestyle. And with the aged, I think, because they, uh, with the shared nature of, of life, they've lived so much. If you ask them a thoughtful question, there will always be a possibility of learning something more. And in all the three departments that I just shared, you always have room to learn and to, you know, be uh, one, just kind of fiddle with wonderment. Um, so that, that's one particular way that I kind of try to deal with the world and people and prepare myself. The second is to know that, um, you know, it, there's a beautiful statement written in 150 BC by a guy named Terentius Affer, He was an African slave, sold to a Roman senator, freed by that senator, and rose to become one of the most successful playwrights in Roman history in 150 BC. And five of his plays have come down to us in this one statement. And the statement is, homo sum, humane nihil ami alianam puto, which means, I am a human being and nothing human can be alien to me. Every single time. I am in a room where I feel uh, I never dealt with sex workers before, or I have never dealt with um, prisoners of war before, or I've never spoken to a particular community, I remind myself, I am a human being and nothing human can be alien to me. Maybe a degree of pain or the event of pain is different. Maybe, you know, the loss of a dog and the loss of an identity and a home and a country is much more in but the emotion is the same. It's loss. And mm-hmm. if I challenge myself enough to kind of expand the limits of it, maybe I'll be able to uh, empathize and be compassionate enough. So I think that's another way I try to figure out uh, ways to, you know, make myself more accustomed to the world. And the third is I try to learn songs in people's languages when I'm trying to meet them. Partially to impress them, secondly to hone my skills, and thirdly to make <laughs> make a fool of myself in the first five minutes of meeting someone and telling them I am as vulnerable as the last row egg in the world. So I'm all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's great. I remember you and I talking about that and, and you learning the songs. And I think for, also too, for me, just being someone that uh, I... I, I I always want to show respect and reverence for the culture that I'm in when I'm there. You know, so if I go yeah. to a place, uh, you know, I, I want to study it before I get there. I want to know as much as I can, just, just to be respectful, really. I mean, it, it's it's like getting on an interview like this. I don't want to go in blind. I did my research. <laughs> we had our call, mm-hmm. our call before and, and so on because I, I want it to be meaningful and I want to connect with, you know, with you in this case. And, uh, I love how you're doing that, and I think that you're lear- taking that de- or, or being so deliberate about that effort to learn something that, like a song in someone else's culture, that might be important to them, that might have, be attached to to some memories for them, and that that might, uh, well, and I, I think in in I would imagine it always is a, is something that acts as a conduit to connect you to them, and I think that's why you're doing it, and and it says I care, I can be vulnerable. I, I'm more concerned with connecting with you than I am my own, you know, ego, <laughs> I think is what that says. Cool. And, and I think that's yeah. a really beautiful statement and a great way to, to start off the conversation with someone and, and, and to, to disarm the situation by just saying, hey, I'll be vulnerable here. I'll take a step out and connect with you. And, and also just that it shows that reverence for their uniqueness and their culture. Uh, the, my, yes. go ahead
0: yes, no, I, I was I was just adding on to that point and saying that you know a lot of times the way we are taught growing up is to show that we know it all, mm-hmm. that we are the most overconfident and uh, tending to borderline arrogant, and you know uh, all of that because we fear judgment and fear biasness, yeah. and we fear all of that. But I think when we do that, we barricade our own vulnerability to pretend to, to show it as strength. And I think that's where there is no room left for learning something. You know, I, I remember this beautiful uh, anecdote that Chinua, the great Nigerian author, writes in King Fall Apart. He says, um, I believe in the complexity of the human story and that no story can be told in one particular way and said that this is it, this is the story. Mm. You can always tell the same story differently, depending on where you're standing. Even the same person telling the same story, again, will tell it differently based on where he or she is in his life right now. And he reminds me of uh, this, uh, this masquerade that dances at the Eboo Festival. The Eboo people say that if you, if you uh, want to watch this, this masquerade that dances in the public arena beautifully, you must not be rooted to one spot. As the, the masquerade moves around, you must change places. Because if you don't, you miss a lot of grace. So that's how the stories of the world should be told from many different perspectives. And I think if you are not willing to nudge and move and kind of be flexible, you will just have one perspective. And that's dangerous. It's not just, uh, I would say, uh, damaging, but it's dangerous to an overview of a viewpoint.
1: Absolutely. Uh, He reminded me of a a quote from my sister actually she has a, a, a blog and, and and video and um podcast and all that kind of stuff and it's called uh, mama says namaste and a lot about, oh, wow. a lot about raising you know conscious children and they're touring the united states uh right now in a in a just of a truck and an rv living for over two years actually on the road and that's and they're, three little girls getting their education through that process mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about the uniqueness of each of us, and she, she her quote is, the uniqueness in each of us strengthens all of us. That, and she says that a lot, and, and I think that is, you know, for me, I, I talked about Ubuntu for so long and, and still do and ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and that South African philosophy, you know, I am who I am because of who we all are, and it talks about our interconnectedness and so on. And I think you're, you know, through collecting all these eclectic life stories from different cultures and different people and you're honoring that uniqueness in all of us and I think through that strengthening us as a a society because of that and I love that and I'm interested what and, and you've had your own experience of all of this unique to what our experience would be of your work right so I'm interested what are there any you know, it, one or, or if there's more, that's fine. But is there any like major life lesson that you've learned through your journeys of collecting life lessons that really just touched you at a, a kind of at a soul level? I'm sure there are many, but is there any one particular that, that stands out that you think, wow, that that really has had a profound influence on who I am and the way I go about life?
0: Uh, wow. Mm, I would say... I would say that, of course, there are many because you're learning by the day, and you, uh, someone who's reading life lessons for a living mm-hmm. is <laughs> having that at, at the speed of light uh, for himself. Uh, but I would I, let me let me actually share with you the latest one because that's the easiest, you know, to tell you the last one that I that I'm deeply following, and that is that your talent is not your gift; it's your responsibility. When mm. you consider your talents to be your gifts. you can be moody about it, you can be choosy about it, you can say, ah, today I don't feel like speaking to Deepak because, Just yes, I flew down from Boston, was having a great time last week, um, I think I can delay the call. But if you are great at conversation and you do not want to delay it, uh, and you're fulfilling it, and it's a responsibility, and you're trying to make your audience benefit from a different perspective, a thought, or question that might lead them thinking to their own answers, than just mine. And I think that has reflected true in, in my story for me, Jared. at this point, that my talent is not my gift, it's my responsibility. So a lot of times in India or around the world when I'm traveling, people say, oh, you're into too many things. You're writing songs for Bollywood movies. You're writing a poetry book. You are docu- directing a documentary series. You're go- going and teaching a classroom in a slum. You are flying all a- half the world to speak at a conference and so much more. And to be very honest, it feels to me an iota of potential touched Because in my head, I'm like, I've not even covered the amount of people I would want to reach out to. So to me, it still feels like the lower level of, you know, whatever the rising chart is. Um, and that gives me enough strength to show up each morning. Despite uh, the human condition of being upset some mornings and disappointed some evenings and lazy some afternoons, uh, I, I still... Try to be as much present and as much um, active and as much as part-taking in the events around me and happening in my life because I feel responsible. To be very honest, otherwise, I don't know, um, as a 25-year-old who started at 17, uh, I would not be partying more than teaching in classrooms, <laughs> you know. <laughs> A lot of times when I was I was really growing up, my friends, my relatives, my just community came up to me and said, "You are 18 years old. Why do you have to spend your Saturdays uh, taking a you know a literally a 18 hour train ride to teach for two hours in some godforsaken village? Why can't you go to a club and and hang out? You know and." Uh, to be very honest, I I did that, and I, I think it's quite a lot of fun, but that cannot be the defining goal of your life. So you go around doing what you do, and even if people think 17 is too young, you still go about the business of delivering it because you think it's important. And no day is promised. Uh, you do it more efficiently, more smartly, and maybe more lovingly, if possible. So I I would say uh, I'm in that phase now where people are telling me Oh okay maybe you've taught seventy thousand enough and I'm I'm thinking in my head that was research I've not even written the thesis yet <laughs> you know so I, I, I'm getting I'm getting to the desert now
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> and and at a, a very young age as well you've got you've got lots of more lots more to come I think there like I, I love that perspective on that and, it, and you know and it is a continual process obviously uh we're, we're continuing to evolve and uh yeah just the giving space for that i think is so important as well and i, I see that you do that a lot uh, it, and
0: forgiving yourself and forgiving yeah. yourself that's very important because you know i mean what you can hope to do as i try to do from day to day is maybe if i blew it 300 times today maybe tomorrow it will be 299 mm-hmm. and then to be okay with that i think a lot of times uh, we just one of the uh, the other things that i've learned in this process of documenting life lessons and learning from other people's lessons is that don't be harsh on yourself yeah a lot of people hold themselves so high up the benchmark is set so you know steep and the balls are too high to climb and the threat is too big and then they consider themselves to be um, completely in, not awe but in a criminal uh, outrage of that benchmark. And if they don't deliver, they don't forgive themselves. And that does not allow you to move to the next day. So night before I go to bed, I'm like, listen, I did whatever I could. <laughs> so tomorrow morning it's fine. I'll try to do as less, you know, false as possible. But that, that's important to not be harsh on yourself. Yeah,
1: I agree. And that's something that you know, my, my wife is always getting on to me about too, you know, just don't, don't be, don't beat yourself up about this and whatever. Um, and I, I've, and, and on, on a similar note too, I, like, I've always kind of taken things in it from the approach of, look, I am passionate and I am committed to mm-hmm. the, to, to the action. I, I guess really to speak to what you just said, um, I'm committed to honoring the responsibility that I have with my gifts. For instance, if, if, so if I'm doing an interview like this, mm. I feel the responsibility to make it the best that I can. To do my research, to to mm. to have a you know a, a pre-call just to get us on the same page and to, to understand the, the possibilities of because a lot of times I don't know until I talk to someone uh, and then. Yeah to, uh, you know, then to, to conduct a good interview, which I hope I'm doing by the way, <laughs> and to, <New> <laughs> thanks. Okay. And then, and then, to, you know, to be passionate and to, and to have the right energy about that as well. And all those things are important. And then to edit it well and, and produce it well and promote it well, all those things are a responsibility and, and not just yeah. a drudgery responsibility. They're a responsibility that I'm very honored to have. And, and I feel like if I don't show respect to that, you know, to some degree, shame on me. But at the same time, it's a, it's a lost opportunity. You know, I have an opportunity to amplify a message of love, and mm. if I <laughs> if I don't do the you know the due diligence on this other side, like I just articulated, then I've sort of fumbled that responsibility, and I that's something that's on me. You know, and I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I have shown that my care meter is all the way over to 100. <laughs> I mm-hmm. care a lot about humanity and about the people, the humans that I'm speaking with. Uh, and that's so, so important to me. And I, I see that in your in your life, you know. And, and I, I think for me, what that's translated to is that I am committed to the mm. action. I'm committed to yeah. taking the steps uh, no matter what. I am not attached to the outcome, you know. In, in the Buddhist sense I, of non non attachment, um, I have detached myself from what that might look like, other than having the intention that I want it to look like love in some way. <laughs> but I, I'm okay with leaving that in the ineffable box. Like I don't want to describe what that might look like. I'd rather just say, I hope everything I'm doing here is for the intention of amplifying love. And then I'll let that look like whatever the universe thinks it should look like, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) whatever direction that goes. So it is a, you know, it's a difficult walk because to some degree, it seems easier when you can map everything out and say, this is what it's going to be. And if I hit that, I win. And if I don't, I lose, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's traditional, Mm -hmm. the traditional viewpoint. Um, but I think that when you 're in i don 't want to say the business, but when you're when you 're in the field that we 're in of, of of trying to amplify that message of love, you through life lessons and me through some of the indigenous wisdom and so on um, you have to show that grace to yourself, <laughs> uh, and I think that when you do that, it creates for a better experience for others that are following as well. Mm. Everything that we're talking about, there's kind of something out there in the air too that we haven't necessarily pinned in this discussion, and I wanted to ask you about that because I, I talk a lot about consciousness just in general all the time, uh, and mm. consciousness as a term means a lot of things to a lot of people. <laughs> to me, it means something mm. about waking up to something, and for me, that that mm. what I'm talking about and in, in waking in that consciousness and being awakened to or being awake. Period. Um, mm. There's a lot of different connotations. I know my my feelings on that. I'm interested in yours. What does consciousness mean to you?
0: Wow. Consciousness to me is understanding, first of all, uh, who you are and not what you do. A very striking difference between that of who you are and not what you do and defining yourself with with that, with, with who you are and, and how you are as a person. Second is minding the gap between what people say and what people do. Minding even the gap between what people do and what they would have intended to have done. You know That is for me consciousness because that creates enough space for yourself and for others to, 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 um, to teach you, to learn from you and to constantly emerge into better versions of themselves.
1: I agree. Well, with that in mind, and with what you're saying, I'm going to throw a big one here at you. But <laughs> uh, who are who are you? Who's Deepak? What kind of person? What kind of human is Deepak?
0: Okay. Wow. I, I didn't see that coming. But I <laughs> if think, if it's uh, any
1: if it's any consolation, I didn't either. But I'm asking because it's in the moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, who is Deepak Ramola? Wow. I would say. Someone who is a seeker, and mm. um, uh, uh, definitely the first word that pops up in my mind is a seeker, seeker of experiences, seeker of emotions. Okay, here's here's my one line answer to that. Deepak Ramola is someone who believes in the potential of all people. He does not wish he does not wishes to be a star, but rather aims to be a constellation mm. of stories, ideas, of journeys. That's who I
1: am. that's beautiful
0: (laughs) and and if and if there is a ps to it i would say someone who's a big potato lover that that, that has to (laughs) go it it, potatoes have to be on my tombstone that's that's how that's how much i love them so they are part of my definition
1: (laughs) i I love potatoes it's beautiful i've eaten them all over the world (laughs) uh yes Okay, so let's let's talk about a couple of uh, of other uh, things that I think are likely mm, scenarios, likely emotions, things that you've come across uh, just in understanding the nature of your work. How would you mm. uh, uh, let's talk about grief? I would imagine you're, you're dealing with discussions that revolve to some degree around grief. Uh, what is that? Mm. I know that it's an important thing that so many people don't give enough credence to, in, in, in my opinion, and that we say grief is kind of a luxury thing that we do over here, as where I view it as more of a mandatory um, dynamic of life. And I'll leave it at that for mm. now. What, what are your thoughts on grief? And, and, and some of the um, things that you've learned along your journeys, I guess.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I would say, you know, th- there are so many... Definitions to grief or how we react to it really, it's subjective from people to people. Uh, there is this great poet called Rumi that said, uh, Don't worry about grief, uh, uh, don't grieve, my love, whatever you have lost will come back in another form. And then you have John Green who said, In um, The Fault in Our Stars, that uh, grief is good because it reveals you, you know, it doesn't harm you, it actually reveals who you are. Mm. Uh, so it doesn't change you grief doesn't change you it reveals you in my understanding and collecting of life lessons and i'll tell you from a very significant source i interviewed a guy who has seen 12000 deaths so has really seen 12000 into the number of relatives who came to mourn the loss of that person i'm talking about uh, this guy named bhairav nath shukla in india who uh, is the manager of a hospice a come hostel where people check in to die, it's a salvation home in the Hindu mythology. It's that if you die in the city of Varanasi, you attain moksha, which is enlightenment and salvation. Uh, and that's why people flock to this place. And uh, this hostel has 10 rooms. And Mr. Bhairavna Shukla has been working there for 44 years. So when I interviewed him for his life lessons, he had 12 beautiful life lessons. And one of them was, resolve all conflicts before you go. And he told me that as, uh, that as one of the beautiful um, summations of grief. If you have conflicts, you will neither be able to grieve well or get over grief well. So I think that uh, is kind of a cornerstone for me when it comes to grief, that resolve all conflicts before you go. And by before you go, he does not really mean when you die, but he means like every day. If you are faced by a challenge, if you are troubled by an argument, if you've had a, some sort of a discrepancy with someone you like, make sure that you are able to resolve that because even that is little death. Little, you know, the argument is the little depth of your confidence, uh, the fight between two spouses, the little death of trust you know, the fight between two. So you're dying these little deaths over and over time. So in in Accordance, you are having to grieve in little moments. But because we don't see it as loss and because we don't see it as the dramatic form of mourning, we don't resolve it. And the unresolvement of that leads to a more complex feeling of being disappointed, hurt, dejected, depressed, whatever that leads up to. But I think that... um, Resolving small conflict in these or after these little deaths that we face as human beings uh, every now and then can can actually harness you well or harness your uh, strength muscle against grief or with grief if you choose to. So That's what I think.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. Well, I, I know that you're dealing with humans, right? And everybody's unique and everybody has a unique uh, even a response or a reaction to you asking them questions, uh, and, and, to, to kind of, uh, I sort of say prying, but in a very nice and gentle way into their lives. Um, what are some of the techniques that you use to get people to open up and to connect more and to, um, reveal some of the personal dynamics of their life and their journey and the stories and so on?
0: So there are, um, different kinds of people. They're very diverse people. Some people open up even before you can finish the question, what is <laughs> your life? And they'll be like, you know what happened with me. Uh, and then there are people that you have to really coax, maybe on the 18th meeting of, you know, getting to reveal what they are really feeling internally. There's a beautiful uh, question that I once heard an American author, Pulitzer Prize, um, TED Talk speaker and all of that. I'm forgetting her name, but... Gerard uh, i'm sure you can you can later reveal it to your audience but yeah. uh, she said the question she asked uh, a lot of people while interviewing was what happened to you mm-hmm. and i feel that's such a beautiful question because it's so open ended when you meet someone and you say hey what happened to you it's completely <laughs> up like to the that. person yeah you're, you're literally dropping a, a grenade you don't know when how big the <laughs> explosion is going to be you don't know if it's not going to really explode so I love that question that 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 she suggested on, um, you know, b- b- what happened to you. And that's one of the questions I often find myself asking. The other is to always start by telling about yourself and your intentions and who you are. Um, we We often more than not, you know, try to bombard people because we want to suck the information out of them like vampires because we need it for our own personal use. Or our personal gains, of our organisations, or writings, of research, or whatever that is. But I think opening up, most importantly, for people to be able to be more comfortable with them, uh, to be comfortable with you in presence of you, is, uh, is 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 one technique I've always found to be true. Is you tell them, hey, this is who I am. This is what my story is. This is where I've come from. And that builds on a trust factor. Like,
1: undoubtedly. so. I'm interested in this uh, dynamic with everyone, really. And and I think that we find our... What you're doing is you're looking at people's lives. I assume Mm -hmm. that a lot of times when they are talking to you and they're answering that question, what happened to you? (laughs) That very open-ended question. (laughs) You're going to get things like... You're going to get highlights first, right? You're going to get this horrific, terrible thing happened. This wonderful, amazing thing happened. You know, and you're going to get things like that. Kind of the bookends, not necessarily all the stuff in between. And then, I would assume you're you're you have to dive in a little bit to get some of the information in between. (laughs) Um, what? And but I think that in general, you know, through our struggles, uh, and I I think that a lot. Like if I look back at my life, and I started to tell you my life story, I'd start going back to the struggles that I just transcended from, right? And I think that's Hmm. where Hmm. I find. You know who i really am it's, you know it's through those struggles we find out you know our character our real character and who we are and, and what we have you know sometimes we find something in us that we didn't even know we had like oh wow i didn't even know that mm. was there but through this struggle i discovered it you know L- uh, leonard cohen one of my favorite musicians and people says you know that, that we find what is it it's the cracks are where the light shines through you know the cracks in our yeah. Yeah, I think what he really meant was egos, but in, in ourselves, is that it, it's it, that's where everything shines through. So I've always been one to kind of honor those little cracks of light, you know, and to and to look at that and to recognize that it's through these struggles. The struggle is not a failure. The struggle is a um, an experience that that we have a choice to learn from. And mm. so I, I was always interested when I'm talking to someone too, like. Well, in in your case, and this is this is personal, but what is something? What would you say is something right now that represents a big hurdle or a struggle for you? Something that you're toiling with, something that you're trying to figure out, or that's, or maybe even that's just bugging you or plaguing you in some way. And then how? You know, what are your thoughts on how you go about transcending through that?
0: Oh, wonderful! Um, I would say at the moment. Uh, because you asked presently, I think it is just being able to convey to people what you really want, you know, and people around you who are assisting you in your journey and your vision, and, you know, to be able to convey the narrative to them. That is, I think, the challenge because you are passionate and you are motivated, but not everybody is on the same curve, you know. Yeah. So you have to say, okay, Jack, here's <laughs> what I think. And I'm going to tell you this for the 200th time. <laughs> and I'm going to be trying, <laughs> try, trying to be as graceful as I remind you to, to, to do this. Uh, or, hey, uh, you know, Serena, this is what I feel. And I'm going to tell you this for the umpteenth and nth number of times that this is how it should be done. Yeah. I think con- conveying your vision to other people is one thing that I find right now a very, very mm-hmm. interesting challenge to face every day. Because as an individual, you can be highly motivated, deeply optimistic, and unimaginably passionate and enthusiastic. But creating that same level of commitment and same level of vibrancy in other people can be quite something, you know?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Uh, uh, can be quite something frustrating, can be quite something annoying. And how I try to deal with that is really to call on patience. I Really, I I mean, I'm worshipping all gods for patience, Uh, you know, (laughs) just three three hours into a meeting. I'm like, okay, this is this is a good exercise to build patience. Uh, So I I think first is patience. And second is this is a beautiful life lesson. It was given to me by a woman from London and I absolutely love it. And it says, uh, try to relate to everyone with a sense of humor. I love that life lesson. It has resolved half my problem. Because now when I sit across people who do not understand the vision or are far off the radar from understanding it for the next couple of light years, uh, <laughs> you know, where, where, where you are, I say, wow, you know, like, literally, instead of saying, why not, what you can, how this and all of that, I say, wow, this is funny, you know, mm-hmm. this is funny that something that is my life will Appear to be a silly joke to somebody, or would be of such uh, you know low IQ material for someone's conversation or intellect. So I'm trying to uh, be amused rather than be shocked and agitated. So try to relate to everyone with a sense of humor is the mantra.
1: <laughs> well, I think I think that's a good one. Well, <laughs> what you you talked to me at one point about, uh, and, and th- this ties into like everything we've talked about in terms of emotions and things that come into this, but. You you uh, used the term emotional gymnastics, which I appreciate. Uh, What (laughs) talk to me about emotional gymnastics?
0: Oh wow, emotional gymnastics! I think are (laughs) emotions that make you do the full round, the falls, not just the the, you know a little leap over the puddle, a jump over a fence. They are things that ask you to have a full circle and completely genuine reaction to something. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the context that we spoke about emotional gymnastics is that talking to people and talking to people outside your community and your circle or your complacency demands that emotional gymnastics mm-hmm. to cry your heart out, to feel completely cheerful for someone you don't know and someone who just told you, hey, I just got a promotion. You have no idea where this person was before. Mm-hmm. You have no idea, you know, if, if uh, you had an inclination towards whether they will get promoted or not, yet to be able to feel um, absolutely cheerful and celebratory for them in that moment or, you know, um, sympathetic and sorry for someone in other moments is what emotional gymnastics is about. It's taking a full circle of an emotion uh, without any inversely or directly proportional relationship to that scenario.
1: Excellent. Well, and, and obviously from that, a lot of that is empathy, right? It's, it's like how we build that empathy muscle and, and maybe it, emotional gymnastics is what built our empathy muscle. <laughs> um,
0: exactly. Absolutely. And a, and a refugee told me, um, uh, a, a refugee d- during my tour in Jorup, while I was working with the refugees from Syria, said to me a beautiful thing. She said, uh, if empathy is not a skill you were born with, consider learning it. Deliberately. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> I think mean, mean, that's the that's food for thought.
1: <laughs> that's a great quote. I will include that in the notes, by the way. Because <laughs> I, I, it's something, well, honestly, I think that that's one of our sort of initiatives and in everything that we're doing over here is to help people tap into the, the potential empathy that they might have, as we're in, in, in that a lot of people just haven't. Like it's not something that that is really part of their day. I think having kids for me has been great. For I I think I was born with that with a strong empathy muscle. You know, like I've always been very empathetic. Sometimes sometimes to a a fault, uh, or not a fault, but sometimes to the point of uh, making my life a bit difficult. (laughs) suffice it to say when I was younger and didn't know how to (laughs) navigate that space very healthy. Um. But it's it's something too that I also have tried to grow more and more and more to be more empathetic, which also involves grace, you know, to be more patient, to show more grace, mm. and I think that those are sort of intrinsically linked to the concept of um, empathy. <clears throat> well, and emotional gymnastics. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're we're coming uh, coming to a close here, but I want to ask a couple of questions here at the end. And sure. I know you to be a very deliberate person uh, in, in, in all that you're doing with your life and, and saying, look, I want to be deliberate about how I respond to this. I want to be deliberate how I go about that. I want to be deli- deliberate about honoring this. And you honor mm. people's cultures and their journeys in a very beautiful way, I think. So what, what is, uh, at, with your life in being so deliberate about who you are, what is mm. it that you, what is the impact that you hope to have, you are an influencer, right? Every, I think everyone is on some level and, and you are an influencer on a higher level, I think because of all the people that you're interacting with and, and the, I the hope projects. So. That I, I'd say that you are from my end anyway. I, um, and and I, in, in understanding that, you know, that you mm-hmm. are an influencer, what is the influence you hope to have in people's lives as a result of them experiencing Deepak Ramola? Hmm.
0: Wow. I think what I would really deeply, I mean, feel completely validated and cherished about is just contributing in people's journey of meeting their highest potential by the virtue of creating their own uh, own self value. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like value their old life and not in retrospect to whether they created an app or whether they co-founded a company or whether they became the Miss Universe pageant holder or whether they were the richest people. To have lived a simple yet meaningful life and to have shared the understanding of that life with others should be a good enough reason for people to be remembered by generations to come. And for those generations to remember that that's also a way to exist and achieve greatness. That's mm-hmm. what I would want.
1: That's beautiful. You know,
0: I, I, I mean, if I to sum it up in a line, I would say I want to act as a reminder, as an alarm clock to all the awesomeness people hold within themselves, irrespective of the accolades that the materialistic or the commercialized or the urbanized
1: world labels them with. Perfect. That's beautiful. Well, uh, from all the life lessons that you have gathered along the way, uh, and then, the, and how they've influenced you. I, I, so you've gathered life lessons uh, in general as a human, but you've also gathered mm-hmm. life lessons as a, you know, as, as someone that's deliberately set out to aggregate those and put those together to help people learn from all of that. And yes. in, in your own ethos, your own philosophy what would you, what's one little piece of advice? And It doesn't have to be, you know, the perfect thing, but what's one piece of advice that you feel would be good to leave us with today?
0: Okay, so I actually read a beautiful life lesson just this afternoon here in India. Uh, We were were packing a life lesson jar for for our online store that I mentioned earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. And there were 100 curated life lessons from all my interviews through the years. And though this life lesson is as simple, cliche, most heard as it is, the backstory is what I think would be fascinating to you and your audience. And the life lesson is this. Um, okay, first let me tell the story. Let me let me let me hold on with the life lesson for a moment there. Yeah. So the 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 lady who shared her life lesson, uh, her name is Hannah Berry from uh, Germany, uh, originally from America, and she said that there's a Persian fable where a king said to his, his, you know, group of advisors uh, in Persia, get me a thing that would get me happy and sad at the same time, okay? Build me a thing or bring me a thing that would make me happy and sad at the same time. So everybody spent enough number of hours, days, months, years trying to find one thing that can make you happy and sad at the same time. Uh, Years, I mean, went on, everybody was very sad, they couldn't fulfill the king's wish. Then this one guy who was really low in the hierarchy came to the king one day and said, I know what to give you. he said, what is that? So he gifted the king a ring, and the ring said, this too shall pass. So every time the king was (laughs) sad, it said, this too shall pass. And he felt happy when he was really happy and enjoying he looked at the ring and he said, this too shall pass. So he was cognizant of the fact that this is also temporary and, you know, phase-oriented and there's going to be a next chapter that will bring something new. And although we all have heard this too shall pass a um, number of times from self-help books, from world leaders, from writers and intellectual intellectuals and philosophers, I think that fable, uh, that small little backstory, resets it for me in the context of, That you can be happy and sad at the same time with that experience of knowing this too shall pass. And with the acceptance of that knowledge, you can always embrace whatever it is that the next thing is going to be.
1: Ah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you for that little (laughs) lesson. I'll tell that story a lot, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Yes, please Please. Thank you so much, man. I I love how you're, uh, you know, you're bringing people together and you're you're showcasing, you know, their uniqueness, which strengthens all of us. And you are. I also appreciate just the, you know, the the techniques and the tools and things that you're that you are developing for connecting people and the processes and 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 all that. You're honoring people's journeys. You're honoring their lives, uh, and and using that to you know leveraging that also to help other people outside of that and to create you. I feel like what you're doing is you're amplifying the ripple effect from people's wonderful life lessons. And I love that. Uh, that's a, it's a beautiful thing and, and you're, you're honoring humanity in a, in a very beautiful way. And that's part of my, uh, a, a major part of my attraction to to interviewing you. So I thank you so much for spending time with me and with our audience in sharing some of your life lessons and uh, of mm-hmm. of your journey of collecting life lessons, so I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much. No, I really need to to say this to you that I have thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you. First, because it's it's so natural. I mean, you are you are such a master at this. I really felt <laughs> like I just sat sat across in my city with someone I have known for years and had a conversation. And as you were asking questions, you know, something I felt. That um, you know, we've done this interview and we've, we've had this amazing conversation. Imagine when we both are like above our 70s and so is your audience and we get back to this, all the wisdom that we spoke about today and reflected on and introspected about. Wow. We will have quite something to, to take along with us. You know, Indeed. I feel like our backpacks are getting full with experiences <laughs> and that's such a privilege to 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 live through, you know.
1: Indeed it is. Well, man, thank you so much. And I, I appreciate your perspective and your in your resolve and your commitment and passion for what you're doing. And if I can do anything in my life, it is to help to build a reverence for our interconnectedness so, so that that is amplified through people's lifestyles. And I see that you're doing just that. And I commend you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for the, the great service that you're doing. Uh, Giving to humanity and and the gifts that you're sharing, and I can see you walking around being love, and that's important. So, so thank you for (laughs) that.
0: (laughs) Thank you. That just made my day. Thank
1: you. Thanks so much for holding a space for love and freedom with us today. If you appreciate this discussion, I hope you'll share it widely and rate and review us on iTunes. That's the best way to help us amplify our message. Inipi Radio theme music is provided by Human Suits from their original soundtrack for the documentary Planetary. Check them out and download their music at humansuits.bandcamp.com. Until next time, I wish you peace on your journey. May you always align with love and let your life speak. Mitakuye yasi.